friends, and welcome to Conversations with Consequences. We are the ladies of the Catholic Association, bringing you witty and charming in-depth conversation on the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers and movers of our time. Conversations with Consequences is part of the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our radio show is always a podcast, and you can listen by going to thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts, or you can just go directly to wherever you listen to your podcasts. For our show today, my TCA colleague Maureen, Maureen Ferguson joins us as we talk with Mary Pat Janner. She is the director of a maternity home in North Dakota called the St. Jana and Pietro Mola Maternity Home. And yes, it's a real maternity home where girls and women are received in the home and taken care of so that they can welcome their children into the world. And even afterwards, up to for three years afterwards, they are helped to become the mothers that they want to be. They're helped with education and with all sorts of material and emotional and spiritual support. But first, we'll be talking to Jenna Bauer, along with Lee Sneed, my my colleague at the Catholic Association, who knows our guest personally. She has an amazing story of a mother's love, the story of the survival of her daughter, Mary Elizabeth, who was born with several heart defects. The parents of seven took their worries to the foot of the cross and were showered with divine mercy. So we're going to hear all about that. It's very inspiring. Welcome to the show, Jenna. Hi, thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining us and uh, joining our show about maternity on this Mother's Day. So many wonderful aspects of maternity and some of them wonderful, but also complicated and painful um, as it is when when we mothers have children that have have illness or any any challenge that we seem to feel. I think it feels to us like we feel it more than they feel it. Uh, We feel everything that happens to them is magnified in our hearts and 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 we suffer more and at the same time we we are so happy that we can be there with them and 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 be be that person that we were meant to be which is their support and their love and their and their comfort so you have a beautiful story about being that that person for a beautiful little girl so we wanted to invite you on to have you tell us about it on this mother's day show absolutely well thank you for having me um i talk a lot so Please feel free to talk. Cut me off. Um, But to kind of her story is much longer than than what I'll give to you. Um, We're actually going to work on um, a documentary, a short one um, that we'll produce and put out there um, for people to view, like with visualization, because she's just like the the cherry on top. But our story, um, Mary Elizabeth, is our seventh child, and we were blessed um, with her so abundantly. Um, We don't do any special prenatal testing because to us it doesn't matter, never would make a difference. Just don't even put ourselves through that. So same with her. We just had a routine ultrasound. And um, during that ultrasound, I noticed that she was ultra flexible. The heart looked a little funky, but I just kept saying, oh, she's fine fine. You're kind of reading into it. Um, and we were getting ready to pack up and leave. And this doctor kind of flew in the room and he said, oh, well, I have so many concerns. And he sat in his chair and he just went, just started a list of things. Um, and, you know, from multiple congenital heart um, back to her having Down syndrome and so many markers for it. Um, and that I think he even started going into GI stuff and he kind of lost me at heart because I know that's a long road for kids. Um, the Down syndrome didn't didn't even really register with me because I always knew that was always a possibility. And I've worked with so many kiddos with Down syndrome that it just doesn't even phase me. They're beautiful. 
Um, so his first question after he kind of ran through his like, supportive way was, do we want to meet with a geneticist and what, you know, what do we, what do we want to talk about? Kind of like offering us an ultimatum, like our basically made her life sad, sad a poor quality of life. And that wasn't, we kind of looked at him and said, we're going to pray. Um, so when he left, we had a few moments, collected ourselves and we went to St. Monica's, um, uh, where we just offered everything at the foot of Jesus. We told, um, Jesus that as long as we are enough for her, that's all we will ask for. You know, I never prayed, um, from the pregnancy from that point on that she would be healed. Um, I did pray that her heart, if it could be healed, I did pray for that, but I never healed prayed for her to not have Down syndrome or to not have these things. And I would have people say, oh, we're praying for, you know, her complete healing and for her to be, you know, whatever people are envisioning for her. And I thought, you know, if she has Down syndrome, that's, that's she's meant to be ours. And we, we must need her in our family. Um, so we, so many miracles started popping up after we left church that day. There's just so many, I can't even go into them. Um, in detail, but I was connected with the right people, um, met another mama who I had already previously known, who I didn't even know she had delivered a little young man with Down syndrome who was visited us that next day, immediately fell in love with Bennett. And it just, everything was, it was just kind of seamless from that point. We did have to go to Riley routinely, which three hours away. So that was hard on the family for her heart to monitor it. Um, and um, I felt like there was kind of some people in the road looking at us a little strangely, like older parents, um, that type of thing. So we just kind of looked beyond that because we knew what God's will was for our life. And we ended up that summer, and it was totally by chance. Like, I, it was divine intervention. But again, a long story. We ended up at the National Shrine of Our Lady of Good Health out in Wisconsin. And we took the whole family. It was very beautiful. Um, there was just a sense of um, God's presence in our life when we were there, um, especially we could tell it in the older girls. Um, and I think that was really pivotal. I think Mary um, really, really kind of took over kind of the care and, and interceding um, to her son on our behalf with Mary Elizabeth. And um, I just, I can't even explain that we went to the grotto where she the apparition uh, occurred and we lit candles and it was just really, really beautiful. So that was one of, um, I think, the small that God led us into this little cornfield in Wisconsin um, to um, the love of where that Mary and devotion and apparition was in the United States. So um, from that point, again, more kind of miracles came riding in. And um, lo and behold, when she was born, we were told, oh, you're probably to deliver at Riley. She's going to be very sick, on and on. I ended up delivering her at Memorial, which is a local hospital. But she was fine. She came home within two days. So she'd already, like, proven them wrong, what everyone was telling us. Um, so that alone, we were very blessed to be able to back. Um she wasn't gaining weight. Um, so we knew that the surgery would have to happen, um, sooner than later. Um, so we, um, so we, uh, sorry, one kid coming in the room. Um, 
we we kind of took the plunge and went ahead and um, scheduled her surgery date um, when she was a little over six months old. Um, so we were kind of in the waiting room and um, the one kind of nurse just peeks her head in and, you know, we were led to believe every hour that things were going okay. Seven and a half hours later, we're the last people in the waiting room. Uh, he said that it didn't go really well. He did what he could, but that she he found extra holes in her heart and that um, the next 24 to 48 hours would be, you know, a telltale of what would happen. He said they would do the best they could and he did everything that he could do. So we just kind of, you know, kept pleading. We had a lot of people praying for us, but at that point, we kind of put it out there everywhere. Please, 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 you know, pray on behalf of Mary Elizabeth. And um, I had students over door to where her basket was, I believe, would say, hey, you know, it's Sister Judy, I'm here praying for on behalf of Mary Elizabeth and for her today. So we had all these cool, cool things in the world, um, you know, on behalf of Mary. And lo and behold, um, that first night, it was rough. She kept bottoming out, and um, it was really, really, really tough. And I just kept praying. Um, Kevin, I just, that's all we could do. And we, like I said, we had people everywhere praying for her. Um, but she was really a sick baby. And as a healthcare provider, um, looking at her, you know, I knew that this baby would only sit with the will of God. And so I had to, you know, kind of explain that to Kevin and um, that, this, you know, it was up to God for best. And, you know, the staff could do the but this little gal was pretty sick and I selfishly kept telling God I want to bring her home but don't make her suffer my heart to see that night after watching her just kind of crash and just blood and they gave her so many things and she ended up with an infection and so these cooling lights I mean so many things happened this little bit um and she was already getting black and blue because of the sights and this is kind of even later on into her visit but the next um everyone was kind of compiling in her room and, and she would we were losing her and I felt like they were just kind of like the attendings I one was in the hallway kind of circling he needs life support like we you I don't think she's CPR. So they were getting her set up, her bedside for CPR. And out of nowhere came this very articulate, just all like, like angelic human being. And he walked up to Tom and said, your baby's dying. And I want to put her on life support before we have to try CPR. He goes, I can't get her on life support. We were just kind of looked at each other like dumbfounded. We were like, well, absolutely. Go for it. You know, I'm going to go get prepped and I'm going to get started and you need to sign the consent. We were just like, so during that time, um, it really like we kind of let everyone know, keep praying. Let's, you know, we did a live raise. I'm telling you. Um, it seemed like minutes he came back and he said, she's fine. She's, you know, she's stable on life support. The machine's doing everything for you, but she was stable. Her body was no longer crashing at sound, um, a route of stability. Um, so anyhow, I, to this day, I, I know he's her guardian angel because, um, many of the nurses were like, we've never seen him before. And many of them, I still, um, talk to their like, we've never seen him again so some people say oh he was just a visiting doctor or oh he was new but and you know everyone's got their own philosophy and I'm like it's divine he was divine um because I never saw him again so that was a huge point um for us I really felt like she was gonna make it I felt like that was my nudge from God like just let me do my thing let me work in your heart and work in his heart and work in the hearts of children back home then if you're patient you know just trust me 
So, um, anyhow, um, the the rest of the you know stay was a struggle trying to titrate her off of life support. We knew it was going to be really really tough. Um, so again, more infection, um, more crashing even on life support. Um, it was just tumultuous up and down. Um, so Holy Week was kicking in and um, we were trying to wean her off on life support. So um, by the time um, Holy Wednesday came around, we were the doctors really think I think we can I think we can do this. So he kind of just instead of um, he kind of turned it down, but she was still completely hooked up to ECMO, which is a um, difficult thing to take her off. So by Holy Thursday, um, he said, "You know, I'm going to do the surgery." And and again, it was another big um, focal point. Will you know? Will she survive this? Will her body know what to do? And adults who are in ECMO, when they take them off and extubate them, we can tell them breathe, breathe, breathe. You know, because they know what to do. All those things you can't tell a baby what to do. They don't. They don't know. Um, so it's not inherently known to them. So um, during this time, um, Ed and I went into our little waiting room across from her room while they were prepping her, and just really started deeply praying. Um, we decided to play some worship music that was offered to us as suggestions by a friend because I I would usually just listen to my own, um, but this was a like more of a gospel CC Ryan song, which I usually didn't listen to. So, long story short, um, I kind of went to kind of a deep prayerful state where I had a vision of Mary. She was in her little crib that they had her in for the surgery. And the surgeon, the heart surgeon was at the head of her bed. And I saw Jesus and Mary come down and I saw Jesus put his hand over the heart surgeon's hand over Mary's heart and over her carotid. Wow. Like he's, he's healing her. I'm watching it take place live. Uh, And then Mary was just, standing there with these rays of just grace just pouring out over Mary. I mean, the light was so beautiful and so profound. Um, I, got tears. I see a sister. Um, <laughs> she's like, I'm still here. Um, so anywho, um, there was a very large figure um, with armor on standing to her right um and i knew it was saint michael i couldn't see his face but i knew it was him and there was just this extreme calm knowing uh, that she was gonna make it um the one thing that threw me off in my vision is that mary when jesus and his mom started ascending back up she reached out for jesus longingly like wait, wait what's going on where are you going and he came scooped her up held her close to him and then he put her gently back in the crib and then he and his mother ascended back and it was just beautiful like it was no sooner than that vision was over the doctor had returned to the room and he said she's good she's good her body knew what to do she's tolerating it well you know again we still are going to have a lot of bumps and hills in our road um but at that point I knew she was coming home and there was just no doubt in my mind what God was capable of doing. Um, so at that point, we were heading um, into um, Holy Weekend. And um, by Easter Sunday, she was activated. And I was able to hold her without crazy amount of tubes. And the kids were all there. We had a private mass in the chapel. It was just really, 
it's really beautiful. So, Jenna, I, Jenna, that's that, yeah. Jenna, that's such a that's such an, a, a a moving story, and I think any of us that have had um, cho- sick people in our lives, especially our children, um, we can we can identify with that great longing and that and that that prayerful attitude, right? Where you where you take you take your loved one and you lay him or her at the at the feet of at the foot of Jesus, and you say your will be done and at the same time you say but my child my child <laughs> right and um you, it's very interesting how how you began by saying something which is very very true um and and i think about this all the time when when people talk about uh pregnancies uh, little babies that are coming along and there might be the baby might have a problem like a heart defect or down syndrome and people say oh we will pray that the baby will be healthy and then, and then, but one, us as mothers and as fathers, as parents, we say, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't need to pray for the baby to be healthy. We need to pray to be the right mother and father for this baby, whatever the baby, whatever God wills for this child, we want to be the right mother and the right father for this baby to be there and to be able to give to this child, whatever this child needs, that the, the needs might be more, right, than, than other children who are born perfectly healthy. Um, so that's very interesting. That's very beautiful. I'm glad you said that. And also, but then at the same time, when your child is in, in mortal danger, you pray for healing um, and you pray for that heart to be made whole. Do you find, do you find an, an interesting um, contrast there between those, those two kinds of prayers? I do. I do. Absolutely. And that's, I had talked to a priest friend and I said, you know, I don't want to pray the wrong way because <laughs> I was worried like maybe I shouldn't be praying for him to heal her heart. And, but then I thought about it and I thought, well, if her heart will, you know, decrease because no one wants their kid to have a poor quality of life. You want your child to not be in pain and not be short of breath. And I was thinking of all the things that come with cardiac conditions. And I knew that I didn't want her to suffer. She didn't have to, um, especially being so little, right? Because we all, none of us want to suffer, but that's the closest way to Christ. So it's, we just have to remind ourselves of that when things don't go our way. Um, so yes, for sure. And I, I had one priest just say, just, he told me, just, just pray for her, just pray for her. And I really needed to hear that because then I didn't stress about, am I praying the wrong way? You know, am I asking too much? You know, what, what, <laughs> Yeah, it, it's so crazy because the whole, like, um, with um, Down syndrome, oh, shoot, this girl is the sweetest. She's absolutely the sweetest. But I had gotten a, I was sitting with a friend. Um, we were at a dance competition right before I had that ultrasound. And we got this little phone call on her phone. She's like, oh, it's my friend Oliver. And we sat there and talked with Oliver. He was a little boy with Down syndrome. So I think those little winks from God, like, hey, check out my cool friend Oliver. You know, <laughs> even I had no... You know what I mean? I knew, I know the hearts of these children and they are just beautiful in every way. Um, but just Jenna, little- I was just listening to you talk about this and we had only just met probably, what, maybe six months before um, yeah. all this was happening with you guys. And, but I just, I mean, I was getting chills all over again because I, I mean, my husband and I both, we just would race to our phones or the computers every day because you guys provided these amazing Facebook updates. And I even shared, you know, I would screenshot them and share them with a circle of my friends who were also praying, who then one of my friends who asked another friend of hers, so further removed, to pray for you and your family, also had a vision of the Blessed Mother at Mary's bedside, which I just thought was amazing. Um, But 
I was also just in awe of the fact that you guys were able to get it together to do these face, these in, these detailed Facebook updates every day. Were they cathartic for you guys or did you just, was it a way of sort of keeping a record or did you just want to keep the prayers coming or what was, I mean, how, how did you guys get that done? Because I, I can only imagine having tunnel vision and not thinking about you know, that kind of thing, but it was so helpful. I think for us, it was the best way because I would get multiple texts from family and it was like, it was exhausting trying to answer each, right? And then when you Absolutely. would like group, it would be like more questions. Like it would just, it was like never, like it just felt like it was never ending. So I was like, you know what? Everybody I love and know is <laughs> Facebook. So I, and I think it was also the very healing for me. Cause I'm like, if I know I'm putting this out here and like, cause I would post sometimes at critical points where like, I need you, whoever's reading this, like we need you. And then when we started that virtual rosary, yes. um, that was a whole nother level. Like I, there's this beautiful student at St. Mary's um, who was, would come to my little rosary group I would have. And she was always the first one on. And I'm just like, I will never forget it. Like, I absolutely love my Ashley. And so she, like, you just remember these things. But um, for me, it was very healing. Kevin would, like, listen to one of our favorite priests, Father Dan, who's now in Fort Wayne Diocese. He would listen to Father Dan's homilies every day. There was different things that he and I did. But then we would come together and pray. And then I would let him read my post because he said they were helpful to him, not being medically inclined, that he could read wow. them from an outside perspective. And he's like, he told me, he goes, I really loved your update today because it goes, it really helped me. And um, he goes, I, I a little bit more understand what's going on because when they would round, I would join in and he's just sitting there like a deer in headlights, poor guy. So um, it was, it was just helpful in so, so many ways. And, and then family would just know they knew they, and when people, when I went update, people were like, Hey, Hey, what's going on? And and it's because sometimes things were just going better and we could, you know, enjoy Mary more at that time. So right. um, it was, yeah, because it was either standing over her bedside or sitting, um, typing, but, um, and just lots of holy water. That girl got a lot mm -hmm. of holy water. And I know it bothered some of the nurses, I think, but I was like, well, get used to it. We're going to yeah, be there. Honestly, <laughs> not my prob. Jenna, yeah. Jenna, we only yeah. have a couple minutes left, but I want to sure. ask you, in the interest of, of the fact that this is um, the week of Mother's Day, what words of advice do you have for mothers out there who might be listening, whose children are are suffering with some illness or some life-threatening condition. What what did you learn through this uh, this experience with with little Mary Elizabeth? For me myself, I learned to trust in Christ because as much as we want to control, I like to control everything, and I learned to let go. I learned that there's things that if God, I mean, God has a plan for all of us. He has a plan for us, for our children, you know, for our families. And if we can just trust him to do what he needs to do and do the work in our lives and in the life of our children, that his will is going to be done. And it may be one that is absolutely horrific and in a sense here outside of earth, you know, because I still sometimes I'm thinking, why did that mama lose her baby? Why did I get to keep mine? And this guilt could cover you. But on the next page, I know that God needed Mary Elizabeth in our life because she is like the vessel of Jesus in our home. She is the one that brings us back to Christ every single day because she just radiates Jesus, like her smile, her laugh, everything about her. So any mama's suffering that just to offer it up to Christ and to, to go to the Blessed 
mother, our lady of sorrows, because no one truly suffered as she did. I can't even imagine, you know, her heart was so pure and what she had to watch her son endure is just most of us would probably die of like shock. So just to go to her, leave your cares, your worries, your frustrations, your anger at Jesus's foot of the cross, and then just ask Mary to envelop you, to place you under her protective mantle. And I know it's easier said than done, but when we have that trust in God, through trust, things go differently. Even if they don't go the way we want them to, we can at least see that, you know, this side of earth that's so short compared to eternity. And um, it's just, again, yes, I got to keep my baby. I got to bring her home, but I also think it's maybe because our family needed some more people um, as a reminder, <laughs> right? That we are not the perfect family. We still are not. We still struggle. We yell, right? We get mad. Um, we are far from perfect. And and Mary just helps us get there. I feel like she's our stepping stone um, to getting to heaven because we all have to be saints to get into heaven. So I feel like she's our living earthly saint. And it's not just our family she touches, everyone she meets. I have yet, there's only been like one or two people I've met that are just like, they don't, they don't want to look at her. It's very strange. There's something not quite right there, but everyone else is just enamored with her. So there's definitely something there. So I go way off tangent. I'm sorry, ladies. But just to mamas out there, just just pray. Just ask Mary to help you walk this journey um, of suffering because there's no one that knows it better than her and her son. They know the human pain that we feel in the human heart. You know, they know it on such a more deeper level um, than we ever will. So to have them walk with you, you know, and it doesn't mean you're not going to have hard days because there's days where you just you feel angry. There's days where I was you know, I go from back and forth, but I kept like an open dialogue with Christ. You know, I'm getting mad because you're letting her suffer. And this wasn't part of the, you know, this wasn't part of the key word was my plan, right? And it wasn't my plan. It was his. And I just had to let it go. And that was the first time I think in our life that Kevin and I truly like let things go to him because it was, it was all his will. I guess rejoice when Christ gives you difficulties and gives you opportunities for suffering because the world, the current culture doesn't want to hear that. They don't want to suffer. They want things now, their way, the perfect way, but that's not how Jesus wants it. We can't get to heaven if we can't meet him at the foot of the cross. It's the only way to get to know him on a deeper, intimate level. And until we can recognize that, until I'm not, we are so far from it. You know, back into the daily grind, we we grow away from him. That's why we go to confession. You, know, There's always ways to get us back to him and back in his graces. Thank you, Hopefully Jenna. that's helpful. No, that, that's, that's actually that's perfect. Wonderful. That's actually perfect, Jenna. And it's, and it's a wonderful thing to hear um, leading up to Mother's Day. When we know as mothers, is that part of what we do is uh, we suffer, right? Mothers suffer, and, and that does lead us right to the foot of the cross. So thank you for those beautiful words, Jenna, and we will pray for you and Mary Elizabeth that she continue in her in her beautiful life of being Jesus to your family. Thank, thank you, Jenna. Thank you so much. Conversations with Consequences. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. This uh, week being the week of Mother's Day, as it is on Sunday, we thought we would concentrate on motherhood. One thing that um, doesn't cease to amaze me about our religion, about Christianity, and especially Catholicism, 
because of our intent focus on, on the mother of our Lord, is that in Christianity, the mother, the, the woman who welcomes God to the, to the world, does so in the position of mother. She welcomes God into her very own body, and the entire thing is started by that fiat, of Mary's, this entire huge step in salvation history, the crucial step in salvation history of God coming to walk among us, is started by the simple yes of of a young woman who had every incent, every human incentive to say no, because of her situation and her all the all the all the terrible situation around being an unmarried, um, a betrothed young woman who hadn't lived with her husband in a place where in a place and time where that would lead to a stoning and and death for her and so god makes salvation happen through that fiat through that marvelous ascent of our lady to to this to the plans of god that are inscrutable and beyond what we can imagine as human beings so she says yes and and god enters into his into his period of humanity that he takes on himself as a, a, a tiny unborn child in, in a woman's, in this beautiful woman's womb. So tiny, in fact, that he started as one cell, I imagine, as, as all the rest of us did, all the rest of us humans have done. And he divinized that experience, the human experience of, of being born of woman being born in being alive in woman and then born of woman it's it's a spectacular thing it's a spectacular concept a spectacular idea and it blesses forever the the role of mother the role of woman who welcomes and who cherishes and who nurtures and feeds and and devotes herself as though this child was just her flesh because that's how it feels isn't it all all women who are listening out there that baby grows inside of us and their hiccups and their kicks and and their bodies just are just infused in our bodies and and right away we be, we we start to give and give and give right we give our our, our swollen legs and our health and our nausea and our, our fatigue and our bodies completely just become part of this beautiful mission. Our bodies just are the mission. We become the mission to bring this child to the world. Welcome to the show, Mary Pat. Hello. Good to be here. Mary, uh, this, is, um, this is the week of Mother's Day, which is a Hallmark holiday, but still one in which we celebrate motherhood, which um, remains one of the most important, the highest callings, the most um, one of the most noble and and highest aspirations of the human heart of the woman of a woman's heart is to be a mother and to be a good mother. And we wanted to have you on the show because you have enabled many women through your maternity home in North Dakota to achieve that very high and noble aspiration of the female heart, which is to be a mother and a good mother. So yes. we wanted to hear all about your maternity home that you started, if I'm correct, in, in 2003. Um, and yes, it's in a very 20-year anniversary. Oh, 20-year anniversary. That's right, yep. this year. So tell us, how did you come to found this this home in 2003? A long long story. That that's a, opens a big question. But really, I spent some time. I had been a teacher and was um, doing some volunteer work with the missionaries to charity in California at you know a home similar you know in in many ways to this. That a maternity home was kind of my first exposure to what a maternity home was, and then just coming back and teaching high school and seeing 
um, from some of my students or their friends, the difficulties that are here too. And even though it's it's different than Los Angeles, a lot different in North Dakota, but there still is that need to have an easy option where when sometimes circumstances become overwhelming and someone just needs a safe place to be, to live and to be loved. And so that's what we, we slowly started kind of at the Jubilee year 2000 was our inspiration to begin this work and continued and um, we're able to open our doors and we've had women and children here over 300 in almost 20 years and we feel really proud and happy to be able to have been a part of, of those lives not just the babies but but the mothers in particular to walk with them and see them grow and be able to choose motherhood despite the difficult circumstances. Can you tell us a little bit more about the the practical nature of how this was founded. And and I understand that you opened the maternity home in a convent, St. Anthony Convent, that had been closed in 1971. And I understand there's some sort of a story that the pastor had been praying about what to do with this dilapidated building that he had. And he had also dreamed of starting a maternity home. So tell us how all that came together and how did you get the funding to launch such an ambitious and beautiful project? Sure. And it, yeah, it was the pastor, Father Damien Hills, who since is now back in his home diocese of Covington, Kentucky, but he had studied architecture and really didn't want to see this building fall apart. It had closed in 1971. The Sisters of Resurrection had been here and also, you know, besides my dream and, and Father, Father Hills, also Colleen Sampson, who is the director at a um, pregnancy center that's a half hour from here, they had really seen the need over the years. And they had actually, even during the time when I was in California with the Missionaries of Charity, had sent out a letter. I didn't get it. I didn't know of, <laughs> of them at that time. And they had, you know, asked if anyone was interested in helping start and, and they didn't hear anything and they kept praying. <laughs> and so it really, really all came together. You know, a conversation I had with Father Hills on Our Lady Guadalupe of that Jubilee year 2000. And I first met Colleen Sampson then on the very last day, um, which was January 6th, Epiphany of the Jubilee year 2000. So I really feel that, you know, God, Our, Our Lady, St. Gianna, you know, they were all setting this up to to be a good work that we could do here in North Dakota. So in these 20 years, Mary Pat, you've, um, you've, you've, you've done this hundreds of times. You've, you've taken in a, a, a young woman and you've helped her achieve her dream of motherhood. But give us a snap, uh, a, a, a thumbnail sketch of what that looks like. What kind what kind of women come to you and what are their necessities in general and how do you help them? Sure. Um, it's a large snapshot, you know, so from 12 years old, we've had to 39 years old, you know, probably the average is the late teens, 18, 19 year olds, but we've had all gamuts. Most of them who come to us are in need of education. And that's, you know, one of our goals here besides the physical needs, obviously, um, you know, that they need <laughs> to have a place to live and their doctor appointments and food to eat and stuff. But we work on their education so that they can grow and develop and, you know, in that way as well, their spiritual needs and their emotional needs, because most of our women really have had people in their lives fail them. Um, they are all alone. I think a lot of families maybe who are listening to this show, they would all rally around and they would help someone in their family. But I guess that's probably one of the revelations that has come to me in this work is how alone in the world some people are who really have no one, or even if they have someone, that person or the, those people would not be capable of 
even having gas money to drive to us here or things like that, that they, you know, oftentimes have lived coach to coach to coach. And so those needs, all of them together, the spiritual, emotional, physical, and educational, you know, as part of our program that we kind of just walk with them, you know, our, our kind of our mission, our model, one mother, one baby, one family at a time. So we don't have a huge crowd of people here, but we look at where this person is and what they need to do and, you know, come up with goals. You know, some of, some of them, they just want to move out as quick as they can after they've had the baby others you know we have two junior in high school right now both who have placed their little ones for adoption and their goal is to graduate (laughs) so they'll be here you know with us another year um and so really kind of just very personal and what we can do to walk with these women in a situation that you know maybe was unplanned (coughs) excuse me by them but you know planned by god for for the the good of that little one they're gonna give life to and also for their own you know journey toward eternity. So you said that most of the women that come to your door are all alone in this world. And that's so striking and sad. And I know that the research shows that most women who choose abortion say that if even one person was there to help them, that they might have chosen life for their baby. So it's so powerful what you're doing. I'm curious, how do they find you? How do they know that you exist? You know, women in a crisis. Our, our paid advertising that we do, we always put under abortion alternatives, which actually comes before abortion alphabetically, so they would see us. But a lot of times it's a social worker at a hospital or a clinic. Um, sometimes it's church. Sometimes it's a friend of a friend of a friend. Um, you know, it's it's all different cases. You know, <laughs> I, I wish I knew exactly. And, you know, it's always people. I, I just talked to a social worker from a hospital um, yesterday. And, you know, she said, I, I just didn't even know she's a half hour from here at a hospital. And she said, I, did, I didn't even know you existed, you know, and, and things like that. And so, you know, that's something that we, we always work on. But social workers change jobs and things like that. And they don't always know about the options. I think maternity homes in general, because of abortion, um, aren't always known. You know, people think that's kind of a thing of the past because there used to be a lot more um, of them because, um, you know, everyone who was pregnant (laughs) delivered that baby, you know, and chose life. And that's not the case anymore. And so um, I, I, someday there'll have to probably be a lot more of them and just a way, you know, of helping women or different alternatives. You know, I know there's different colleges that are starting, you know, to help more pregnant women and things like that to just welcome life in, in so many different ways. The, the women who come to you, you mentioned um, when you said they were juniors in high school, you mentioned a 12-year-old. Sounds like some of these are, are girls. Um, how does a girl find herself so radically alone um, in, that, in a situation like that, that she would have to come to a maternity home? Um, just maybe their, their families, you know, different abuse, drugs, alcohol. Um, you know, things like that. We serve a lot of people, you know, from the Native American Indian reservations um, that are around here and, you know, just people who've had hard situations, you know, alone. I, I, I agree as a 12 year old, you wouldn't think that that's even, you know, something that can happen, but it does happen. And it's, and it's really hard when you have um, little ones come here in, ju- in junior high school, in middle school, and they're, they're making decisions that affect not only them for the rest of their life, but also this baby. And, and so it's really something, you know, that we work with and we work with counselors, professional counselors and things to work with them and help them understand and realize. But, you know, at their at their age level and educational level, sometimes that's really difficult to do. You mentioned that some of these babies are put up for adoption and that's wonderful. I'm, I think you're an adoptive mom. I'm an adoptive mom. <laughs> and we know 
how beautiful that is and and what a what a what a delightful solution for the problem of a baby that needs uh, that needs a home but um right. but what do you sometimes have a couple do you have sometimes girls or women who who end up forming a home with the father of their child is that sometimes uh, the the result I will say very sadly, we've had very few of our women over the years, as in two, who have that the birth father has come through for them as a good man and that they've gotten together. Now, some of our moms now that we've been open a while have now found fathers (laughs) for their children and a husband to marry. And that's a beautiful story. But the, the fathers that come here. You know, and that's the problem. If you if you had our spiritual director, Father Joseph, he would go on. You know that that it's a failure of fatherhood. Not not only these girls' fathers, but also the fathers of the babies, and they're not standing up and protecting and defending um, life that the way they should. And so it leaves these these young girls and sometimes older older women, you know, alone and afraid. And you know that's that's our mission is to you know we have in our chapel the visitation and the words above the child in my womb left for joy. And I think, you know, when people come here on a tour, they see this beautiful home and they, you know, say, oh, so much peace. But I don't think that our moms coming here feel that initially. They're scared and they're very alone. <laughs> but I feel like our mission is to to bring them that joy. And, and when you think about it, when we felt joy in our lives, when we feel loved by God and by others. And that's really, you know, what we choose to do with them, whether they're here two months or two years, um, you know, just to love them and, and take them on their journey, those next steps. Can you tell us a little more about your your home's chaplain, Father Christensen, I think is his name. Did you say he goes by Father right. Joseph? I, Father I Joseph understand. is a Franciscan, yes. Yeah, I understand he's not only a spiritual father, but plays a vital role in, in many ways at the home. Can you tell us about that? Really critical. I mean, just to the staff, to the moms, to the children, he really is that father figure here for us, um, you know, from... Uh, last night he was out, you know, chopping logs <laughs> for our fire pit that we do, you know, and then this morning he's offering mass. And I know, you know, my own six-year-old daughter, you know, she just he loves him. And, you know, really that father figure when she's hurt or whatever she wants to call call father, you know, to, to help with whatever need it is. And I think that everyone feels that way there. He really, he comes from a family of 12 children and I think he grew up in a family and really fits in and really is that um father, brother, you know, in all ways here, the spiritual, you know, obviously the most had to have daily mass and to have holy hours and things like that always present um, is such a gift, but also, you know, for him to be making pizzas with us or giving the little ones a ride on his four-wheeler or things like that is also a huge gift and joy here. Mary Pat, since since the end of Roe v. Wade, um, the entire the entire country has been involved in a kind of new, a strange new dialogue around abortion and around the rights of children to be born and to be and to be loved and to be welcomed into this world in in a hospitable way, right? In an inclusive and a and, and a tolerant way. We talk a lot about inclusion and tolerance, but it's hard right. uh, for our culture to find those virtues uh, centered on on the most vulnerable among us or the the babies that maybe are loved but are not. Um, they don't come with the material circumstances that that makes their their welcome possible. Um, how do you see maternity homes like yours fitting into that into this new world landscape that we have now after after Roe v. Wade has has ended finally? Right. I, I think they're just very critical because you know we we speak of choices you know 
people are pro-choice, but what are the choices they're given when they go to an abortion facility? And I think we need to walk with the women where they are at. We need to affirm them, <laughs> be with them, and and let them let them grow and make those choices the right way. And this maternity home gives them time, gives them time away from all their worries on how are they going to get diapers for this little one? You know, they can't get discharged from the hospital without a car seat, but they don't have money to get a car seat that meets code, you know, and things like that. So many times it's just finances. You know, I know I've been praying when we used to have an abortion facility here in North Dakota. It's now since moved to Minnesota, um, which is, is good for North Dakota. I know Minnesota is just a couple miles, you know, over the the bridge from where the other one was. But, you know, very rarely, but once in a while you get a chance to talk to someone and they don't have rent money. You know, and I think if, if we all knew <laughs> someone needed rent money so a child could live, we would, we would all help. And so, you know, just kind of getting that word out and getting us more known, you know, maternity homes and pregnancy centers that, that we're here, not just for the babies. I think sometimes that's a, a myth that people think we only care about the babies, but Indeed, we care about these mothers, every life, all life, you know, from conception to, to natural death is so precious and so lovable. And we want these women to be able to choose a choice that they can live with and their baby can live with. So, Mary Pat, we're just about out of time. But speaking of finances, it's an incredible undertaking to do what you're doing. How, how do you fundraise? And I um, would love for you to tell our listeners how they might be able to help you. Sure. We, you know, do our, our newsletters, our mailings, things like that. And just we went from the very beginning around to many churches and altar societies and asked people to walk along with us. You know, we told the beautiful story about St. Gianna and now we include her husband, Pietro, and to do something in their honor. And, you know, whether it's $10 a month or $20 a month, if they can be a part of us and not just financially, but also spiritually, because I think that the battle is, you know, we are supported by prayers so much and women are able to, to make that call to us because someone's praying and someone's sacrificing to do that. That too. So both ways, but we do ha- we do have a website, and that would you would be able to donate on there. You'd be able to learn a lot more about our work, and that's um, stands for Saint Gianna and Pietro Mala, SGP Mala Home, S-G-P-M-O-L-L-A Home, H-O-M-E dot com. Well, thank you, Mary Pat. What a beautiful, beautiful ministry you have, and I'm very thankful that people like you exist and that you are actually doing the hard work of, of changing the culture one desperate mother at a time and, and welcoming one baby at a time. So thank you. Cool. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. And now Father Roger Landry offers us, as is customary, a short and inspiring homily to prepare us for this Sunday's Gospel. This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy for me to be with you. As we enter into the consequential conversation the risen Lord Jesus wants to have with each of us this Sunday, it's a continuation of what Jesus said to the apostles on Holy Thursday night in the upper room. He told them he was communicating these things before they happened, so that when they happened, the apostles would believe. He was preparing them not only for his betrayal, crucifixion, and death that would occur within hours, but even more for the post-resurrection reality of the church, which is why the church always ponders these passages throughout the second half of the Easter season, so that we might believe them more fully in the light of the resurrection. This Sunday, the risen Lord Jesus speaks to us specifically about four promises, four blessings, four different ways he wants to relate to us. The first promise is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you always, the Spirit of truth. In 1565, these words were put by Thomas Tallis into one of the most famous and beautiful motets of all time, which I'm playing now in the background. It's the promise that if we love Jesus by keeping his commandments, 
with all our mind, heart, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as he loves us, then Jesus and the Father will give us the Holy Spirit to be always with us. Earlier this week on May 8th, the church in the United States celebrated the memorial of Blessed Miriam Teresa Demjanovic, born in Bayonne, New Jersey at the beginning of last century, and the first American to be beatified in the United States, which took place at the Cathedral Basilica of the Sacred Heart in Newark in 2014. Blessed Miriam Teresa wrote in one of her spiritual reflections, God's purpose in my life is this in general, to teach men that our Lord's promise, if any man love me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to make our abode with him. It's held out to every soul regardless of calling and is the perfect realization of his prayer and ours, thy kingdom come. God's desire is to come and dwell within us. That's what we pray for when we ask, thy kingdom come. We're asking God to dwell, we're asking God to give us the permission to dwell with him in his kingdom beginning now. That's the mission of the Holy Spirit who's been sent to us. For whose outpouring on Pentecost we're now beginning to pray. This is the first incredible promise Jesus makes to us that comes from our seeking to live in his life, our seeking to do his will and remain in his word by keeping his commandments. One of the Holy Spirit's chief works is to convince us that we are beloved sons and daughters of God the Father. The Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts so that we might cry out, Abba, Father, so that we might recognize the intimacy of a relationship with God as Dad. That leads to Jesus' second promise in the Sunday's Gospel. I will not leave you orphans. In the midst of a culture in which there's a true crisis of loneliness, in the midst of human lives in which we sometimes can feel abandoned, just like Jesus did on the cross, Jesus promises us significantly that we will not be left alone. He will not allow us to be abandoned by father and mother. The Holy Spirit helps us to remember that God the Father is with us, even within, together with Jesus and the Holy Spirit. But he also helps us to relate to the mother God the Father chose for his son, and that son on Calvary the following afternoon chose for us. The mother, whom the Holy Spirit overshadowed, and who helped the Holy Church become docile to his gifts, fruit, and work. In this month of May, dedicated to Our Lady, as we prepare for Mother's Day this Sunday and pray for all our moms living and dead, as we celebrate the 106th anniversary of Mary's apparitions in Fatima, Portugal, this Saturday, how important it is for us to recognize that Jesus will never leave us orphans, but will send the Holy Spirit to help us live evermore in communion with God the Father and with Mary, our spiritual mother. The third promise Jesus makes is, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me, because I live and you will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I in you. Jesus tells us that his resurrection will be our life. I live, and you will live, he says. And then when he goes to be with the Father, to dwell in communion with the Father, he's going to bring us with him as members of his mystical body. This is a truly mind-blowing reality. Jesus will develop it more deeply on Holy Thursday in a passage we'll hear next Sunday on the seventh Sunday of Easter. But his mission is to bring us into the communion of persons who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to help us come alive through his resurrection and ascension, to assist us to live in communion with God who entered the world to redeem us and make that communion possible. And the fourth promise he makes is, whoever loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and reveal myself to him. We've been made by God who is love in his image and likeness, meaning we've been made by love for love. Earlier during the Last Supper, Jesus said, just as the Father loves me, 
And we know that the Father can't love Jesus anymore. So I love you. Then he asks us to remain in that love, telling us that we'll remain in his love when we love God and others as he has loved us. So there's a condition he places on our receiving his love. We have to love. That's why Jesus speaks to us in the gospel this Sunday about keeping his commandments. He tells us both, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, as well as whoever has my commandments and observes them is the one who loves me. He tells us that we can't have communion with him unless we do what he commands. Clear reason for this, because Jesus is the word made flesh. We can't separate him from the word he put into that flesh. We can't truly love him and at the same time choose not to love his will expressed in the commitments. As Pope Benedict used to say, real love is idem vele idem nole, that two people who love each other want the same things and reject the same thing. So practically, we can't love God and then choose other gods over him or use his name as a throwaway word, or prioritize non-essential work, cartoons, sports, political talk shows over him on Sunday. We can't love him and at the same time disrespect those through whom he gave us life, or hate or kill, steal from or lie to those he loves. We can't love him and at the same time think that his love isn't enough by coveting what others have or the, one, uh, the ones others love. It's pretty simple conceptually, but in practice, so many of us try to separate Jesus from his word, thinking that if we love him, then we'll have positive feelings about him or respect him or have affection for him. But he tells us that love is shown in deeds. Just like a husband's love for his wife is shown not by how many times he whispers, I love you in her ear, but by his faithful love for her and all his deeds. So our love for Jesus is shown by our loving fidelity and remaining faithful to him in all the areas specified by the commandments. As we prepare for Sunday, Jesus wants us to get ready so that our conversation with him, just like his conversation with the apostles on Holy Thursday night, might be truly consequential. And that we, through zealously desiring and striving to keep his commandments, may experience all these blessings he promises. He wants us to experience the real love of God the Father, the love of the Blessed Mother, especially while we're in difficulty, reminding us of their protection and prayers. He wants us to receive in full measure the gift of the Holy Spirit, he promises. He wants us to rise and live with him and to see him as he reveals himself to us. Let us ask for the grace to express our gratitude for him and to enter into a covenant of love with him in this world and forever. God bless you all. Thank you, Father Landry. To hear more from Father Landry, check out his website at catholicpreaching.com and you can also catch his writings at EWTN's own National Catholic Register. A big thank you to all our listeners for joining us. I hope that this show was helpful. I hope that it gave you more peace and more hope and more joy and you go with our prayers. 